special relationships, and transatlantic correspondence galore. It's time for another installment of New York Real Talk on Siren Radio and Southside Broadcasting. Real Talk continues, and I wonder if anybody has ever danced like pink flamingos do. Obviously, my co-host Pamela Suman <laughs> is still sorting out where her pink flamingo is, and well, she will actually sort of be joining us before too long. But one of our top guests on New York Real Talk today has actually provided the voiceover for what we've just heard 
Pink Flamingos. Is it BAFTA award-winning director, the awesome Graham Harper? Graham, have you ever sung with Pamela Suman as yet? I'm afraid not. So it isn't you. Okay, that's no, interesting. It's not me. Well, that, that <laughs> means it's a 50-50 split then between our next two awesome folk. Interviewer extraordinaire and general, as we said in the first place, uh, when he made his debut on New York, uh, Real Talk, uh, all-round wonderful interlocutor of uh, questioners across the globe, Adam Harrison-Levy. How are you, Adam? I'm fine, sitting here in snowy New York, which is uh, a strange thing in March. Oh, wow. Oh, is it snowy? Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's, well, okay. well, it's not. Yeah, it is snowy. It is snowy. Yeah, you see, you say oh. snowy, I think, are you talking about Tintin and his dog? Are we talking about Hershey's Adventures of Tintin? We don't get snow in the UK these days. It's just a strange, <laughs> bizarre activity. But curiously, Adam, if memory serves, when you made your debut on New York Real Talk, it was also snowing. And when I see you in July, it'll be snowing again. Exactly. <laughs> there's a there's a horrible synergy going on here. A, a wind a wintry synergy. Is this the winter of our discontent? Ah, <clears throat> uh, citing Shakespeare. Did Shakespeare? Well, I saw. About? I was at a I was at a camping store, and they had outside. They said, "Is this the winter of our discount tents?" Which I. Thought <laughs> <laughs> no, I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> I can see where we go with respect to that. Uh, you heard his voice there, of course. The inimitable Phil Herdwood is also with us. And it basically means that between Phil Herdwood and Adam, Adam Harrison-Levy, one of those two has obviously provided the voice for Dancing Like Playing Flamingos. We won't reveal it as yet because that'd be teasing. We'll, we'll, we'll allow that to actually be revealed later on in the programme. Graham, can I turn to you first? And actually, back in the day, and we're talking the 1980s here of Memory Serbs, uh, when you were kind enough to actually uh, drive me from our studio base at Dulwich Radio to, I think, Clapham Junction, if I recall. It might have been... Well, that's about three miles, not even yeah, that. A, yes. a good three miles, exactly. <laughs> I seem to recall you saying, um, you know, you really should feature on the show a, a young actor called Phil Herdwood. I've worked with him on, <laughs> uh, on, on this thing called Bergerac. I think he's really good. He's, he's really going to be fine. Do you recall that particular day, Graham? I don't, but I remember, I, I remember telling you about um, Phil, yeah. Uh, yeah, because as I say, we go back to the time, and in many ways, I feel as that we kind of were responsible for for launching Phil Herdwood on the unexpected world of community broadcasting and a variety of other aspects as well. And we've never looked back since. But how did you, Graham, first encounter Philip Herdwood, for whom the spotlight in this edition of New York Real Talk is going to be firmly on? Oh, I met Philip when uh, I was asked to direct. Um, a district nurse, which was a, a, a series about a district nurse in the 1920s, I think, Phil. I can't remember. Something, yeah, it must have been around that era. That yeah. Period. And um, I was a guest director and Philip was already um, a, a regular member of the cast. Um, and uh, in fact, he was number three, I think. Uh, there was um, John Ogwin, who was the yes. lover interest of... Um, of the the mid the, the mid not the midwife the district nurse, um, and um, uh, and the district nurse whose name's gone right out of my brain, which is Nurse Hughes. Nurse Thank Hughes. you very much. Very famous. Um, and and Philip was um, the locum, uh, the local locum, as it were, uh, the British English <laughs> locum of a in a Welsh valley, basically. It was yes, that was a very happy um, very happy filming experience. I must say, a lovely cast, lovely crew. I don't know about the director, but the crew and the yeah. cast were, were fantastic. No, it was great fun. It was a lovely show to do. It really was. A kindly show, you know, an enjoyable, kind of publicly enjoyable show. 
yes. a publicly spirited show. And we've also identified, of course, Graham, in our pre-show chat uh, for the extensive rehearsals we've had for New York Real Talk, as Pamela will attest to, uh, that you also, like myself, have never actually been to the city that never sleeps, the Big there Apple. So good, they named it twice, basically. So there we are. They sort of did, didn't they? They sort of did. <laughs> New York, New York. Pamela is with us now. She's had a complete costume change for our last show she did with us a couple of hours ago. I know it was a stressful time. Good news is that our Greek songstress was a bit poorly, but she'll be okay for next week. I'm just saying. Anyway, apart from that, uh, we've launched Pamela because we felt we had to with the bizarre question who actually were we listening to uh, on Pink Flamingos? We've identified it hasn't been Graham. It wasn't Graham. Graham as yet has not actually duetted with you on any of your <laughs> Pamela Suman productions. So. <laughs> and I'm sure he never will, but not because he doesn't want to. <laughs> so, so, so needless to say, I turn to Adam and say, Adam, um, have you actually ever given your vocal talents and your vocal range uh, due prominence uh, in the, the New York environment to actually ensure that maybe Pamela said, yes, Adam, you can voice my Pink Flamingo. I'm sorry to have to decline that uh, offer and to say that in my history, I have not yet ever vo vocalized Pink Flamingo. Right. No. But the well, time may well come when you might. I mean, I, let's leave that, I leave that opportunity wide open. Don't yeah. burn your bridges, Adam. That's all I can say <laughs> as a piece of advice. <laughs> Process of elimination, then, quite clearly, that yeah. Phil heard it was your voice that we have oh, just heard. It was indeed, yes. Amplified, uh, you know, um, often imitated, but never duplicated. <laughs> and so I can hand over the baton quite gracefully to Pamela, who will anchor with respect to Graham and Adam, uh, because as I say, Pamela, we felt. Philip needed the spotlight on him for this particular edition. And between yourself and Adam and Graham, this is the chance to really grill Phil. Grill Phil. See what I did there? Uh, in all sorts of wonderful ways. I went but to a, a restaurant once manner, obviously, uh, <laughs> about life, the universe, and various other bits and pieces. Pamela, over to you. Oh. Good evening, Pamela. How are you? Hello. Hello. Ah. Uh, of Grilled Phil. <laughs> Grilled Phil, yes. Not grilled gefilte fish, but grilled Phil. Well, I mean, you know, firstly, Adam, you can attest to this. The weather here is bonkers. I was wearing shorter sleeves before because the weather's been going from summer to winter and it's it we're just running into our closets to try and catch up. It's been madness. Am I correct? Yeah, well, yes, we've already had the snow discussion. I promise Alex that when I come back on the air in spring or even summer, it will be snowing. <laughs> Oh, no. I, I really don't know, Pamela, why your meteorologists over there haven't affected the uh, the Levy effect, uh, which clearly <laughs> you know, brings, brings snow with as a matter of course. It has to be mentioned. Anyway, carry on. You know, okay, so I I, I prepared, as I always do, right, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking that perhaps a question that, that I'd like to ask uh, Philip is, how how did you get into acting? Oh, golly. Oh, gosh. I mean, my obviously, I was recognized as a potential, you know, me megastar uh, at a very early age. Um, <laughs> I think it was a nativity play and I played a donkey. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I mean, it was <laughs> no, I mean, it was uh, yeah, at university, um, having done sort of amateur dramatics uh, and all that. Um, and then uh, went to university and joined the Student Drama Society and probably spent far too much time in the theatre and not enough time at my books, which is why I ended up with a, a lowly 
two two rather than anything else, which I could have got you know better sort of two one maybe. Philip, please, uh, you got a, a degree. Two, two, it's an honours degree. I got it's a degree. Very well I done. Well done. I got a degree anyway. So I did lots and lots of drama there, and there just happened to be a professional theatre on campus, and there was a theatre company based there. I got friendly with the company, got friendly with the director, and before I knew it, the director said, "Listen, we're doing <clears throat> five plays in repertoire." for schools <clears throat> he said it's becoming too much for me could you would you be interested and i just graduated he said would you be interested in directing one of them and i thought me okay or all, right, all right so i winged it and it was measure for measure and there was a young actor in the in the play um who i knew had enormous potential and uh, he played two very small roles a traditional pairing in the play <clears throat> and he was excellent he was absolutely wonderful he, um, I wondered what became of him. Uh, well, it was Liam Neeson, actually. And um, I directed him in, in, uh, in, in, in that play. I think I never knew he was going to do that. Anyway, so that's how I got it. And I got my, my union card as a director for the stage. So I did lots and lots of plays uh, as a professional director. And then at a read-through, at a read-through of Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, that we were short one actor and the director, the artistic director said, Phil, would you read Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream for this read through, this table read? I said, sure. So I did it and I thought, well, how, are, how am I going to characterise Bottom? And I thought, well, this was in Ireland. And I thought, um, wouldn't it be fun to have Bottom, who loves the sound of his own voice, as Ian Paisley, the, the, the <laughs> demagogue, you know, who spoke like this, and he was always, you're just a rebel from the south of Ireland. And he was like that, so I thought, I'll make Bottom like that. Well, of course, I started off doing that, and the cast got it, the director got it, and said, right, he said, for the next two years, you're playing Bottom on, <laughs> on tour. So that's how I became an actor, really. And then I thought, well, I suppose this, this is all right, quite like this. <laughs> Let's see where it goes. So that's what really happened. And then it wasn't that long until I met Graham and we did a few, uh, you know, a show together, the one that he was telling us about, uh, the district nurse in Wales. That was a wonderful experience. And then we did another cops and robbers kind of a show called Bergerac, which was a massive institution in the UK. And, uh, and things went on from there. I worked in Dublin doing sort of films and TV stuff and kids programs and all manner of stuff. And there I was doing voiceovers. And the next thing I knew, I was a professional actor, a professional actor. <laughs> actor laddie nothing actor chappy nothing could be further from the truth but anyway yeah so that's how i got into the job to answer your question pamela thank you i i actually had something in so you we lost you there just briefly can it's you repeat snow that? phil it's the snow whenever ah, it snows snow. pamela fades out we have to kind it's of fill <laughs> from that point of view don't worry <laughs> You can mime it, maybe. Mime, mime it. Well, she, she's muted herself now successfully, so that's all ah. good as well. But never mind. <laughs> yeah. Adam, I'll turn to you briefly, because you might well be, have one or two interrogatives yourself you want to throw into the mix. What are your thoughts and questions for Phil Herdwood? I can throw in an interrogative, I think. You, you touched on the fact that you have done voiceovers, and I yes. noticed that you voiced over uh, documentaries and that you've also voiced over video games and mm. uh, feature films. And I was wondering if you can talk about how they might be different in those different mediums and oh. they might be the same. 
Well, yes. I mean, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, you t I take each job as it comes and it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's the first time I've ever done a voiceover for each different job because uh, each different job has its own dynamics. The writing's different, the producer's different, the expectations are different, all of that kind of stuff. As far as the medium goes, yes, you characterise as speedily as you possibly can. Uh, if it's a video game, very often you're not going to be bringing in, be brought in just to do one voice. You might do maybe five or six different characters, which is really a blast, and I love that. That's just fun. Um, for a for a TV commercial, it you're dictated by the script as much as anything else. And if it's a, like a thirty second commercial, uh, you know I know where I'm going with that because I've probably done three or four thousand of them so you know there's there's this kind of you know that that's kind of easy to do for me i can do that almost blindfold although it wouldn't be very easy would it really sort of stupid comparison no but i mean <laughs> it's it, it, but then video games documentaries then you you wear the hat uh, of the right of the writer and you sort of get into the way their speech rhythms and the uh, each different writer has a different way of, uh, of of presenting the rhythms of a of a piece of of, of dialogue or piece of uh, writing. Some, uh, you know, there is no doubt that um, uh, writing for the spoken word is very different from writing for the written word. So you can read a, you know, you, you've, I've had commercials which is great brochure writing, but try and say it, and it just sticks in your mouth, and you just won't. <laughs> won't come out right so you've got to try and make a silk purse out of a sow's ear and a lot of that is firefighting what I do is firefighting and the people who really aren't that necessarily brilliant at writing scripts um, you know need uh, rescuing and uh, I have the experience luckily now to have to be able to do that so I'm a safe pair of hands vocally a safe yeah. pair of a safe parents of larynxes and nodules and diaphragms and all manner of things and palates and <laughs> all the rest so yeah i mean the, you, you you take each job as it comes and uh, they all have their own different disciplines and so much is it really depends on the on the writing and the style and you just get into that instantly you just read that as quick as you can because you don't want to waste time so yeah and get into the heart of it really that's the key I hope that answers something of the question. I probably haven't been very articulate, but there it is. <laughs> it's, it's the snow. It's the snow. That's the <laughs> you know, it's interesting because thinking was quite, you know, being being that um, Philip would be on the show. I'm so glad you're here, Grandma. I didn't think you were going to be able to be with us, but I'm. I'm oh, thank you. Um, it's good bye. to see you guys as well. <laughs> um, it, you know, with 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 that. Knowing and Alex and and Graham as well, knowing that you are all such word people, uh, the importance of the importance of the written word and the and the importance of saying things and how they are said to the audience to receiving a, to receive a message. I thought it might be interesting to just that how important that is and obviously as time goes on you know the, the best the best shows and the best music with lyrics the best examples of things are are, are operating on so many levels and uh, i feel that the word as i go through life and and go through life more and more i realize how very important words are and then also to fill up to a, a voice over actors such as yourself how important how you say those words are yeah that that's that's very true i mean there's no doubt you know where you know in a sentence for example where the meaning lies and which words you should really kind of slightly stress 
if you are lucky enough to have the writing from somebody who really knows what they're doing, there's an awful lot of subtext. And it's that subtext, which I think in many ways carries what you're saying, Pamela, that subtext is actually part of the message. You know, um, you've also got the music, the musicality. You've got music very often in the background of a commercial or sometimes a, a documentary. And as a voiceover, you play off that. You ride along with the music and you know where the music's going to peak. You know where it's going to de de you know, descend. And you kind of pitch your, you pitch your music, your, your spoken music, as it were, along with that. And, and the music itself can help to punctuate what you're, what you're saying and helps to carry the message. Graham, what, uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, you've worked with a number of interesting writers and uh, uh, obviously from the direction, you might say that all Philip needs is good direction to actually put that pitch, pace, pause, inflection, all those vital things to the fore. Uh, have you ever found that you've been working with an actor who perhaps wasn't as, as subtle as Philip in terms of they're just reading exactly what it says on the script and they can't say anything else because that's what it says here? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but that often... <laughs> so Derek Jabkaby obviously was a problem, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Oh, no, no, I don't, would never say it was him. Um, there are lots of times when the writing isn't that great. Um, uh, it could be better. And so uh, as director, you often feel, well, I'm going to pull it out the bag by the visuals. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of hide it, the badness of the writing. But you can't really. Um, no matter what you do, it, will, it may be um, a show that... You, you get away with it uh, and people like it, but it'll never be a great piece of work, even how wonderful the actors are and drag it through um, out of the awfulness of the writing. If it's really awful and, and nobody's clever enough to have changed it um, or allowed to change it, which happens mostly, actors will come up with suggestions that are far better and much more interesting because they're playing the characters. Um, and the producer or the writer will say, insist on nothing must change and we've got to get on with it. We're paid to get on with the job. So we... Uh, we do, um, you do your best, um, but I don't think you'll ever, you'll make it palatable, but that's about it. Yeah, and some, some actors have tricks, don't they, to try and do, improve or, you know, make the silk purse uh, when it's an actor on in a show. I mean, I, I remember there was a, a Jack the Ripper uh, TV series, I forget, uh, I think Michael Caine was, uh, was Lestrade, the, um, the policeman. Police in that you know and he he was doing some quite weird things with the dialogue i couldn't say whether the writing was good or bad it, it's quite some years ago now and i can't remember much about that but i do remember he had some very strange interpretations of some of the lines for example where you might say and i'll bring in my best michael Caine impression here where he <laughs> where he might say uh, uh, i want you to go down to the police station and write your report <laughs> so that's that's how it kind of you would normally read it you know but he would say i want you to go down to the police station to write your report and you oh, 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 oh you know and you can see the actors visibly flinching and you thought why did you shout because there's no need you know and he, he, he i remember reading where he said in an interview where you know he said do the unexpected with certain lines well he certainly did that but do the unexpected you know so that'll keep the audience on their toes so well you might say i love you he would say i love you you know and he'd break, break it all up and be, oh, oh. You know, but it would make he thought it made it more interesting <laughs> Whether that's true or not, I couldn't say. Strange. But anyway. I, I seem to recall William Shatner doing the same thing with T.J. Hooker, but that's another series entirely. Oh, uh, well. Uh, <laughs> for the classics, the, the, the greats. 
Uh, Adam, you've been listening to some of those thoughts. Any any other interjections you'd like to make? Well, I do have a question for both of you. Maybe, Philip, would you want to take it first, which is you've both had such impressive and long careers. And I was wondering, what helps you endure? Uh, the love of what we do, and what I do, certainly. I don't want to speak for Graham. I'm sure he might agree. Um, but certainly, it's just that the next job, the next project might be absolutely thrilling and might be so fulfilling and wonderful that it's a legacy that you are proud of and that you just adore being part of. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's it really. And it's just, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to dress up and pretend? You know? a and, uh, yeah, well, exactly. As we did, as we did in New York. This is what we did. We dressed up in our flamingo suits and we, joyously danced around a supermarket in the oh, middle of the night <laughs> we and we, it was such fun for the for the video for the for the for the song so uh yeah i mean that's no, it wasn't for know. the video for the song philip it's what you always intended to do as a matter of course <laughs> don't try and get out of it oh right well. i've been rumbled again yeah, yeah you're right no but it was it's, it's that really i think uh, you know and over to graham because i mean i i think it's just what could be next? What what thrilling thing could be next? You know, I might get a call from Steven Spielberg who might say, sorry, wrong number. No, he might say, <laughs> he, might, he might say, I've got this script, you know, and you're going to love it, you know, and you think, well, why not? Yeah, come on, I'll do that. You know, what's around the next corner? Who knows? That's the thrill of it for me. For, for me, um, so I haven't worked for two years because of lockdown. I, I went out of my way to say to my agent, I don't want to, I'm just worried and frightened of uh, COVID, either giving it or collecting it. Um, so I didn't work for two years um, and then was offered Hollyoaks, which is a, a soap opera here, but it's done single camera. So it's more interesting visually to um, cover the stories. Um, and what I found, and I've always felt this, but what I found was I absolutely love being on the floor, studio floor, out on location, with a crew of camera crew and sound crew and technicians and the actors, not in that order, but us all together. Um, and there's, we, you can do anything. You can, the, the world's your oyster, uh, and you can really do something in a collaborative way and really enjoy it. And I found that I could still do that and um, I've had a, a, a joyous experience for the last nine or ten weeks. Oh. Um, and it is that all my life. It's been the same. Every time I get a production, whatever it's, however good or bad the dialogue is or the script is, um, I always find and attack it um, in the best way I can to bring the best out of the story um, with those people and really and go to work and enjoy it and make sure that they're trying to um, they're going to have a good day, too. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story about Jack Lemon, the wonderful Jack Lemon, the actor, uh, where he was apparently every time when the on the very first day uh, of filming, he would say, right, let the magic begin. <laughs> and I love that sentiment. I just think, yeah, come on, that's what it's all about, you know. But you know, it that's is. true, because it must be the same for all of you in your different um, uh, careers, I mean, Pamela Sue, with music, with music, it has to be you and a group of musicians. Um, sometimes I'm sure it's solo, but sometimes it's with musicians and you collaborate and make joyous and extraordinary and, and unusual and, and exciting things happen when you're all together. You think you go along, that you will say, sorry, I'm saying this badly, that you end up going, gosh, I never thought of that. What a wonderful idea to add that detail in, in the background or in the heavens of your song or the music um it's it, it is 
let the music, the magic happen. It yeah, does. absolutely. And I think as well, you know, part of, you know, one of the things I'm, I probably enjoy as much as the actual performing, possibly even more, is the rehearsal period where you're exploring the dynamics of the script and you're also getting to know the cast and finding out the dynamics between you and the others as characters, as people. Uh, and, and again, as Graham says, it's that collaborative uh, feeling, which is just joyous when you're all on the same, quite literally on the same page, uh, you know, and, um, uh, and it is that collaborative space spirit which is wonderful but it's 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 that finding out you know that that kind of learning about each other learning about the script and the dynamics of of the script and each other that i find as rewarding as the performing the performing can sometimes be that's what you have to do that's what you've been aiming for and you do that once but with the rehearsal period that's where the fun is really but the magic is when it's actually when there's a camera on it and there's an audience in the in the auditorium. They're waiting and they're shuffling and they sit down. The curtains open and you come on and you do your stuff. And uh, that's the magic. That's the magic. It's wonderful. So what I about yourself, Adam, in terms of, of magic from your own point of view, in terms of interviewing and lines from that? Is it similar when you're in the zone? Do you feel as though that actually comes through as a case of don't talk to me about collaboration? It's the paycheck that's the most important thing. <laughs> uh, well, there are two answers to that. One is on the actual, I mean, I completely get it on the documentary side of feeling, I mean, the crews that I work with are tiny. I mean, it's just the cameraman and the sound person. But there is that feeling of, not just, you know, let the, I mean, there's not a, there's a metaphorical curtain. Here we are, we're loading in, it's you know, seven in the morning and that feeling we're a team. And that is really kind of thrilling because the other part of my life I'm writing on my own. And I love that kind of crew feeling, that collaborative feeling. We're going to make something bigger than, than all of us. And we yeah. all have our separate skills. You know, the DP has his skills and the sound person has her skills. And, you know, we're all going to make something that's, that's larger. So that's collaborative, but I also think, and Alex, we sort of talked about this before, is that really wonderful interviews are a collaboration. That it's not necessarily one person grilling the other, all jokes aside, but hopefully you're asking questions that evoke something from the other person and together you're going on this journey and you're discovering something. So that I really love. And I feel that that's a, a contribution. You're not extracting something from somebody, but you're helping to evoke a common story. I've said many times over the last 40 nice years, really these shows are more psychotherapy exercises as opposed to anything else. But that's by the by. One day will be available. In <laughs> well, the this, I mean, doing these, these, doing these shows has saved me a fortune on a shrink. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Pablo, I think you're free from the snow for the moment. Where would you like to go now with respect to Phil? Or is it a case of just bring out the flamingo again? <laughs> <laughs> That sounds a little bit personal. <laughs> Definitely, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's in the oven. <laughs> um, you know, it was I took notes on what everybody was saying because I I I, I really want to be in the moment so much, but I'm just so overwhelmed as usual. Um, trying to find a place to land. Uh, first of all, when I was in school at Berkeley, which is a music school. I remember, it's funny how maybe from all your years at university, you might remember one or two things that your teacher said. I mean, I, I do. This was, you can't polish a turd. There we are. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really in respect to um, mixing. You know, this was in the, in the recording studio and it was, you know, it was somebody's coming with a song, you know, and you've got great musicians and you've got a great producer and the best gear and everything and everybody's ready. But if the song 
as we say in New York, right, Adam, if the song sucks, it sucks. Hmm. You can't really, you can, you know, as Graham was saying, you know, you, you, you can do the best you can with it, but you know, it's not really, I mean, that's why it's always such a fantastic thing when you get to work with people who are on such a high level, who are so evolved with what they do, that it's just a flow and it's easy and, and, and wonderful. You know, I, I was thinking that, that, that as, as writers, you know, I spend far too much time alone. <laughs> I don't have a, a band right now. I have in the past that I've rehearsed with several times a week and we go and we tour and we, and that's really fun. Um, just like the gypsy band I saw that I was talking to Alex about, uh, uh, Gogol uh, uh, Bordello was this, uh, there was a, it was a benefit for, for uh, Ukraine just recently at, at City. They were playing and they are Ukrainian and they are a gypsy punk band. And I don't know, maybe there are 14 of them, but they're all on stage at once. And I mean, some are topless like it's madness it's crazy but you could see what a family they are and you can just see how they vibe on each other and it's just and they're gypsies and it's it's incredible and uplifting and that experience of being with the group of people doing what it is you do you know anytime i get to go in the studio with with other musicians and um, i'm about too soon and i'm very excited because it's it is that energy of people just bouncing off of each other and it's incredible and then you have the other you know, the other disparate thing, which is being the writer and observing and being completely solitary as if you're a ghost, you're not even there and you're very alone. So it's, it's, I think it's really nice to be able to employ both things, you know, as a, as a, as a performative person, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, a long time ago in the eighties, um, I was working on a, a show and uh, it was 10 o'clock at night and I wanted to go and have a drink and eat. And I went to a jazz club uh, run by someone I knew here in London. Uh, and this night, it was called the 606 Club. And oh. this particular night, um, it was a crowded venue. Um, it was Friday night and it was about 12 o'clock by the time I finally got there. And the, the main band had finished and Steve Ruby, who owned the bar, um, jazz club uh, said ladies and gents uh, I've got such and such person such a person he's on piccolo this guy's on tenor sax I'm going to uh, play clarinet um, and we'd like to play for you uh, an improvisation of a song that I've written blah 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 the three musicians there was no percussion it was just the three musicians uh, three woodwind I suppose you call them um, well, no, tether sax is brass, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, the three musicians started playing this an improvised version of something that Steve had written. And it's one of those moments that just, they all were in tune with each other. They're all nicely pissed up, but they all got it. And we all sat there in wonderment at 15 minutes of the most magical piece of music, new music, but they improvised. And it was just fantastic. And, and I hope that, that those days sometimes happen. I'm sure they do for you, but they happen sometimes for me where everything just comes together and it's just a fantastic day. And you end up with a fantastic um, group section of, or pieces of work that collaborate, that, that you then put together and make into a programme. Um, it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, it just happens and it's okay. Sometimes it's really magic. 
Yeah, it's a joyous thing, isn't it? When it happens, I was thinking as well of the the kind of the op- almost like the op- the other side of the coin, where you've got where you're going back to the bad writing, and you can't polish a, as you quite uh, interestingly put it, a turd. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, but you know, you get bad writing, and you see the poor actors either on stage or on the TV, or not so much in films, but certainly on TV sometimes, and they know. It's an appalling script and they're trying to do as much as they can to, to revive it, to do something with it. And they're all frantically pulling faces and signposting everything in such a big way. And you think your heart goes out to them. You think, oh, God. And they're probably thinking, they want to phone their agent, you know, and say, why not? Did you give me this? Give me out of this. <laughs> Can I die? You know, and 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 you know, you know that they can see their careers kind of vanishing before their eyes as as they're doing this show, you know, and they're frantically trying to re- bring some, breathe some life into something which is long dead. But and that's it's kind of painful to watch, and you, your heart goes out to them. It really does, you know. Thank well, God. Well, you can always take I, that line of it's a bit like treading on a spaniel's ears. You wouldn't want to do it basically because the spaniel looks so so sad. Why would you want to tread on its ears? Nobody <laughs> sets out to make bad stuff. They're trying the best they can. Exactly. Let's, let's hold it there momentarily, Pamela. I suspect I already know what Philip's wackiest New York moment was. It might involve pink flamingos, but maybe not, Philip. Uh, what is your wacky New York moment? Uh, as this is your debut on New York Real Talk, do you have oh, one? My, uh, my recent experience, perhaps, uh, was I think perhaps yes, dressed in a flamingo suit. Uh, it was a lovely three piece suit with um shirt, tie, waistcoat, and it was massive, big flamingos printed on it, and uh, uh and a suitable tie, and um, and yes, and shooting this with uh Pamela and others uh in a supermarket upstate in New York. Um, Did you have a hat and shoes? I had shoes, of course, yes, I didn't have a hat, although there was one discussed at one stage but it didn't actually uh, land on my head on this particular occasion we felt the hat would possibly be superfluous but that was the fun thing and it was the meeting of the people they were fantastic and the joy of doing it all and you just didn't notice the hours there and you just knew that it was there was something special happening and I think from the rough cut that I've seen I think there is something special there Moral of the story, if you actually want to actually bring magic to your production and you feel as though you're polishing some excretia, then effectively <laughs> bring in a pink flamingo. That's the important thing. Always. That's, that, that is a watchword. I think that is something we should all be cognizant of. Send for the pink flamingos now. <laughs> uh, the, the, the 21st century equivalent of the dancing girls, perhaps. Pamela, yes. it's, it's time. I know we're at part one of this and Graham will be in the spotlight for part two whenever we put that together. But Pamela, would you like to throw your two questions, the variations on the old midweek drive ones to the team, please? No, I think I'm going to cry. Is this nearly over? Uh, oh, I agree. Well, all I- good things. All good things. <laughs> um, OK, so I'm going to I'm going to go on the order of my screen, which none of you can see, but that's OK. Um, so the way we say it in New York, uh, instead of the very eloquent way that, that Alex always presents the two questions, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say, starting with Graham, have you had a good time and will you come back soon, please? I have and I really will. Yeah, I'd love to come back. And Philip, you're down below Graham. Okay, well, <laughs> yep. That's uh, everybody's this position, is, Pamela, actually. I know, I know, <laughs> my, I know my place. I know my place. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, governor. No, I, <laughs> I have had a great time. I've loved the program and it's wonderful to meet everybody. And Adam, great to meet you for the first time. And I hope we will meet again on the airwaves. So. And yes, I've had a great time. And you bet your life I'll come back if asked. We're asking. Um, Thank you. <laughs> to the left of Phil would be Adam Harrison Levy. <laughs> I'm, I'm to the left, okay, but I'm below Graham still. So yeah, Graham, I'm so still. sorry. <laughs> Adam, everybody's below Graham. It's a important thing. Yes, I would love to come back so long as it's snowing. <laughs> I take it you're in California, Adam. Is that <laughs> you're yeah, not? People. You're in California? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm in. Are yeah. All right. Yeah. My brother's in California. He phoned me up from Santa Barbara about an hour ago to say, well, I'm just going down to the beach. It's all palm trees. Yeah, bastard. Bastard. <laughs> now, now, Philip, just remember sibling rivalry. There's no, no place for sibling rivalry. On the Easy program. for you to say. <laughs> exactly. Put it to one side. Adam Harrison-Levy, Phil Hurdwood, Graham Harper, huge thanks. Pamela Sue, man. Uh, it is time for that final denouement before oh, we go into... <laughs> a, a second a second airing of Pink Flamingos and uh, the Luster. This will be available shortly. It was delayed. We know we are expected to release it on February the 14th, Valentine's Day. Other things actually emerged. <clears throat> Pink Flamingos will be coming out in the not-too-distant future. You've heard it twice on this show. It'll be an absolutely essential must-have addition to your audio collection. It's... Pamela, would you like to actually wrap up? When I actually say those words, New York Real Talk. Home of the world's finest pickle.
Like you.